and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Dr. Rosanna Allen-Khan, who is a Shadow Minister for Mental Health here in the UK. In addition to serving as a Member of Parliament, she is also an A&E doctor who has been working on the front line during the COVID-19 crisis. If you've been following the news in the UK over the last few months, then it's likely you would have seen two exchanges Rosanna has had in the House of Commons with two Cabinet Ministers. The first with Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who, when Rosanna asked him if the lack of coronavirus testing had cost lives, responded with the advice that she should watch her tone. Secondly, when Rosanna asked the Mental Health Minister Nadine Dorries eight times to have a cross-party meeting to discuss a Care for Carers package, a package designed to support the mental health of over three million frontline workers, the response she received in the House of Commons was that if she wanted to set policy, Dr Alan Khan should try harder to win an election. But my reason for asking Rosanna to join me on the podcast isn't to sling mud or disparage her opposition or to take a political position, it's to tell her story. And the reason I feel this is so important is that it can be very easy to let politics happen around you, to not have to engage so much, especially if you're in a position of privilege and changes of government and policy don't necessarily affect your life very much. But for other people within the community, our community, these changes, these decisions made at the highest level can be devastating blows and it's never been more important for us all to take part. Rosanna is a working doctor. She works in A&E and continues to do so and has done so throughout the pandemic all while representing her constituency in the House of Commons. She may have experienced one by-election and two general elections, but she has only been elected for five years. And I wanted to find out how and why Rosanna, who was already a busy doctor, wife and mother, decided to take on this role and represent her community. I also want to discuss mental health and why she has described it as the second pandemic we're experiencing and how ultimately all of us can take a more active role in the world around us. We don't all have to become politicians, but there are ways, and it was very interesting to hear Rosanna's advice and what actually does make a difference. Furthermore, I wanted to tap into Rosanna's energy. She is tenacious, relentless, and focused, all admirable qualities, and to see them in action and how she adapts when faced with hurdles or barriers, like the ones described a moment ago, is really commendable. She's not the kind of woman who gets deterred, she just finds another way. And what really struck me is her motivation. And her motivation is the people she represents whose voices wouldn't get heard if she didn't take their messages to the House of Commons and to those higher levels. The links to Rosanna and everything we discuss will be in the show notes, but please do join me in welcoming Rosanna Allen Khan in what I hope will be her first visit to the podcast, not her last, onto The Emma Gunn Show. Rosanna Allen Khan, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited, if I'm honest. It's great to be here with you. I'm such a fan. I, I listen to your podcast all the time. I watch your I watch your videos. And um, yeah, once we're done, I've got a few skincare questions, please. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'll probably refer you to my learned friend, Caroline Hirons, <laughs> who knows a lot more than I do. Um, I know she's your friend as well. 
She is. Oh, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Absolutely incredible. And um, a real supporter of, of, you know, women out there like you and I just, just trying to make, make their way in the world, make it a little bit of a better place and uh, feel fabulous while doing so. You know what? The other day I woke up and I think I was like brushing my teeth and obviously had my phone in my hand and my phone goes. And I thought it's a bit early for someone to be messaging. And I looked down, it's Caroline. And she sent me a screen grab of something that says, no, you're effing worth. And she went, your daily reminder. Oh, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. But you know, sometimes we need that though, don't we? Oh, sometimes. 100%. It's really good just to put a post-it on your bathroom mirror um you know just saying I am enough and repeating that I don't think it's about even being the best at anything but just knowing that you are enough exactly yeah. who you are what's and all is enough and that you're yeah know your effing worth <laughs> <laughs> I had um Marissa Peer the very famous hypnotherapist oh, on the podcast yes, I've learned all that I'm enough stuff from well, there you go. Yeah, she was the one who I went in. I went to her home and interviewed her, and I went up to her bathroom and in lipstick she has on the bathroom mirror, "I am enough." Oh my gosh! Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm as excited to talk to you as you would have been. <laughs> so, okay, brilliant. So, I want to tell you a story because it's rather wonderful, and I think it's very timely. So, I think recent times have made everybody realize that actually it's it's incredibly important to be active in one's community to have a say and to be doing the right thing and you were elected uh to, as an mp in 2016 which i guess is fairly recent yeah yeah it is pretty recent um and a lot's happened in politics in the last few years so i've had a front row seat at the table to sort of watch it all unfold and uh I didn't realise when I was running in the by-election, which is an election that you stand in to take over from someone else. And I was doing that because Sadiq Khan became the mayor of London. Um, so I won that selection process and I was you know, running in the by-election. But little did I know that a year later, there'd be another general election. And then shortly after that, another general election. So even though I haven't been an MP for very long, really, in the grand scheme of things, I'm an election veteran, which I didn't see coming at all. Oh, yeah, because like two in the space of, what was it, two and a half years or something? Well, I had three in three years, if you count the by-election, so. Goodness. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of practice. Um, now, so I'm really interested to know about the story about how you got into politics, because uh, the end of last year, I did a podcast where I very, uh, sort of very lightly talked about the fact that I didn't particularly see anybody in a position of authority who represented me, didn't see anybody particularly around me who represented my values, and yet they were the ones making the decisions that would affect my quality of life, my, the amount of tax I would pay, all of these things. And I went online and I found on gov.uk that it costs something like £500 and 10 signatures to become an MP. I wasn't going to do it because I think I'd be terrible. But I'm you not quite, not quite like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> no I'm sure it isn't exactly like that but when I went to .gov.uk it was like that's what it looked like it was as simple as you know if you want to get started yeah. and then it was like and then find a cause like a motorway bridge that needs I don't know re, re tarmacking and really campaign for that in your local area but you actually found out what it was going to take and you decided to become an MP and I'm really curious about what what it was that made you decide I'm going to have to do this well, quite frankly, um, 
so so like buckle up I'll tell you the long story oh good <laughs> I'll get comfy oh buckle up get 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 involved um so I I grew up in Tooting which is the area that I represent and um have a Polish mum a Pakistani dad and um through a number of things my mum sort of ended up being a single mum raising my brother and I and um we had a really tough upbringing and uh, we were we were pretty poor and you know it was it was just a very very insecure time of life and pretty difficult and I remember saying to my mum why is life so hard I just don't understand and she said Rosanna that there are people who have it worse than us and I I found that hard to imagine and but I always sort of said to myself really from a very early age that if there are people that have it harder than us if we get out of this life if we get out of what it's like to to know hunger and cold and you know be told that the things we want to achieve with our life are not possible for us because of who we are and where we come from if I ever get out of that part of my life I'm just going to devote myself my whole existence to doing whatever I can to help others in that same situation and I knew from really early on in life that I wanted to be a doctor but was made to feel that it wasn't going to be something for me and that was as simple as me finding out that my grandma was blind when I was three but I had this steely determination to become a doctor but but I but I failed my A-levels I was a really good student but I failed my A-levels because um, things were really tough at home and I didn't go to a couple of the exams and back in those days um um it it was really you had to show up for the exam and that was it there was no no like modular work or anything like that so yeah. right royally failed um I was told that someone like me would never be able to go to medical school anyway because it wasn't for state school poor kids right and um and had to find somewhere to reset my a-levels wrote to all the medical schools saying look I was a straight a student beforehand life happened they were like no thank you we're not interested in you and I didn't give up I went and did a different degree that I had no interest in I had a really good time and I learned a lot but I had zero interest in it and um, fought my way to medical school and then we had a change of government and I ended up going to Cambridge getting in age 23 um, because I never gave up and once I got in there I thought to myself right that's it I'm going to commit to a life of doing what I said I would do and helping others and I knew really early on I wanted to be an A&E doctor because that's where I was going to meet the families that were like mine who needed the help that we needed but never got and um, yeah started specializing in A&E and then very soon realized I wanted to do a lot of humanitarian medical work abroad so I did a specialist master's and I spent a decade basically trying to help people in war zones in natural disasters and realising that we don't value life the same way across the world. We just don't. And I used to get very angry about it, very upset about it, and want to be part of the change. So I always thought my career was going to be in the field of humanitarian aid, and that was what was going to happen. And then I came back to the UK, um, was having my children, and realised that the NHS had changed, and we didn't value life the same way in the UK either. What I was seeing was very different under a new government. And I just thought, well, this isn't right. All this was happening when I had a baby and another one on the way. I don't think I read the manual properly. I did not plan for, for two under two. But um, I stood to be a local councillor 
which is just where you help local people. Um, and if, if, you know, like if you get elected, um, you, you, you sit on the local council and you help with local issues and people's housing and health and all sorts of stuff like that. And it was an unwinnable seat. They said it's been conservative for, for 26 years. You're not going to win it. But I did. I won it by 16 votes after three recounts just through having honest conversations with people and saying, look, I'm just like you. I would love to represent you. You know, I'm nothing special. I'm just from here and I care. And then about a year later, Sadiq Khan was running to be mayor of London. And um, the guy that had stood against him in the 2015 general election, who I didn't think was the best person for the area, um, was working really hard. And he actually did really well in 2015. Um, and Sadiq only won by a small margin. And so when Sadiq became the mayor of London, it looked like this guy was going to be a shoe in um, to win for the Conservatives. And a couple of local people from the local Labour Party came to me and said, Rosanna, will you go for it? I was like, go for what? They were like, will you go for it? You know, would you go for, you know, for being the MP? I said, have you smoked something? Like, what is wrong with you? I drive a double buggy. I live in a tiny rental flat with two kids under two. And I work shift in the local hospital. And they were like, but Rosanna, we just, we need somebody with some real fire in their belly. It's going to be hard to beat this guy. And then I just thought, well, it's either I go for it against all the other people that are going for it. Um, or I let this guy potentially win because I don't think anybody fights with the same fire in their belly for this area like I would. So I went for it because I didn't want the other guy to win. I didn't want him to be, <laughs> to be representing Tooting when I thought he wasn't the best person for the job. And it's really funny because... Lots of insecurities can sort of, you know, creep in from your childhood or you're not good enough. Why would it be you, you know, you the wrong sex, you the wrong colour? Because like, Tooting has never had a woman MP either, um, let alone, you know, someone like me. And so I just thought, well, I'm going to go for it. And I just kept getting through to the next round, to the next round. And then suddenly I found myself running in this by-election um, finding myself in like the Daily Mail and and just having this strange surreal life um but I won I won the I won the election and I found myself um actually I won the election on the day that Joe Cox was killed mm. so it was awful awful um what an experience you know I just thought oh my goodness um how tragic and I was a bit depressed actually I felt like like I'd taken I felt like I'd taken her job even though it wasn't hers it was Sadiq's and it took a bit of a moment to centre myself and I found myself in parliament all the gear no idea didn't know where I was going had no staff no office no team but I was just like Rosanna you're just gonna have to approach this with everything else that you do in your life which is positivity but the reason I was there was because I had some messages to give I had some messages to bring from Tooting I had some messages to bring from from the NHS I had some messages to bring from all those mothers whose babies had been murdered around the world because of needless senseless war and violence I had some messages and yeah started delivering them and kept on going and and actually in my role as an MP I carried on my aid work and did loads of work calling out genocide in Myanmar went to Palestine went to went went all over the world still um because I realized that I had a platform as an MP mm. and with that platform I could bring some messages back um, from these places and and you know try and fight for good and so that's what I've been trying to do with all the elections on the way and and here and you know here I am it's been a bonkers ride well one of the things it's a great story and I guess we'll come back to the fact that it started by 
running to become a counsellor or becoming a counsellor. But one of the things that really uh, came through when I was doing my research was the, just the fact that if you see an injustice, you call it out. Yes. You speak up. You are incredibly scrappy. If you see something is wrong or could be done better, you will also call that out. But in calling it out, you're also incredibly optimistic because you're not just calling it out to say this is wrong and broken. You're calling it out to say this is bad, wrong, broken, shouldn't be like this. Let's try doing it this way. Thank you. I try to be like that. People don't like people who just shout for the sake of shouting. And that's, I think, why people find it so difficult to relate to politicians. They see people shouting at each other across the chamber, but they don't see people saying, let's try and work together. Or I don't like this. Here's what I would do differently. It's shouting for shouting's sake. Um, so I, I don't believe that's the way to get things done. Mm. Um, I like to work cross party. I like to work with people from other you know, parties. Um, and if, if I'm challenged, I'll stand up for myself, though. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not afraid to lose my job tomorrow. And that brings a fearlessness about doing the right thing at all times. And yeah, I'm definitely scrappy. I'm definitely like I will call it out if it's if I see something is wrong. I'm not afraid to say it, even if in the past that's meant going against my own party. Right. Well, yeah. So, okay, let's go back to the becoming a counsellor because that's obviously where it began. What was the what was the reason for doing that? To be was it about being involved in your community? Yeah, it was totally about being involved in my community. So, I mean, I got interested in the Labour Party when I went to uni um, because I realised that it was a change in policy in the Labour Party that meant a kid like me without any money um, could go to Cambridge because they said there shouldn't be a ceiling on who can apply purely due to financial circumstances. Right. And... So I thought, oh, this Labour Party, that's quite pretty, you know, really good. Um, So I joined the University Labour Club um, and got interested that way. But I didn't plan a career in politics. I really didn't. I would say I planned a career in advocacy, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, which means speaking out and standing up for people. And I genuinely was doing that in the humanitarian sector in the humanitarian field and you know if if I was seeing things that were wrong I I would go to governments and have campaigns like for example um on like forced child marriage and you know if if there were war situations I would be part of a negotiating team I studied I studied um for a master's in public health specializing in emergency humanitarian assistance but before I went to medical school I also studied conflict resolution for a summer um, at the UN and and so just just sort of had that very much in me that standing up for people I will fight I will be their voice and I thought it was going to be as a doctor um, and when I came back to the UK sort of finally because I was backwards and forwards taking a year out here and a year out there and doing and, and trying to do all the most dangerous stuff before having my own children um, I it's a, it's really funny, actually. I think sometimes opportunities just find you. So I thought to myself, I'd really like to be a local councillor because there are lots of people who are homeless, lots of people with, you know, you know, issues that other people might not think are important, but they are hugely important and they're important to their lives. And, you know, things like rubbish and potholes and, you know, all the sorts of things that make life better if, if they're sorted out for you. Um, 
so I was going to apply, but then I was in hospital with my first baby. We had some complications when she was born. So I missed the deadline. Um, and I thought, OK, that's fine, whatever. And then three months, three or four months before the council elections, a random email dropped into my account saying, um, you know, into my inbox saying, Someone's had to stand down in 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 Bedford Ward, which is a solid Tory ward. Um, we're holding hustings for people to take their place. Um, so I went and went along, and a few of us went, and I got it. And everyone was like, "Oh yeah, this is unwinnable." I was like, "I'll tell you if it's unwinnable. Let me get chatting." <laughs> I feel like the the way to get the best out of you is to say it's impossible. <laughs> like... This is it. This is exactly honestly. You've hit the nail on the head. Someone tells me I can't do something. That is the way to just to push me the most because I'm like, no, I will decide if I can't do something. I remember I remember um, at school, actually, for my GCSEs, I was a talker in class. You're probably shocked to know that. I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember standing behind my friend Rachel in the line for parents to see the maths teacher. And the maths teacher was telling Rachel to encourage me not to talk so much because I used to sit next to her and that... Um, and that, you know, I probably could do better if I didn't talk so much and distract everybody. And I was so irritated that he told her that, that I made sure that I just like studied really hard and I got an A anyway, because I'd heard him <laughs> tell her that I probably wasn't going to do as well as she could do because I was talking so much. I was like, well, watch this. And I'm not, I'm not competitive in a horrible way. I just hate people telling other people what they can and cannot achieve because of the limitations that they put on them. So it's like, I'm going to decide because you're a woman and you're non-white and you're from xyz background you can't do this and I'm like no actually no and um it took a while though to get the strength to be able to sort of look up and realize that that's kind of what you've been doing your whole life is saying no now you actually have the strength to verbalize it Mm. is is part of the growing up journey isn't it 100% so let's fast forward because that's a really nice point actually talking about people maybe maybe being a new kind of face in the House of Commons and the things that you have to deal with and I think very publicly recently you've dealt with two incidences in the house that have been really unpleasant to watch and has that felt like I mean you must have to grit your teeth yeah I have to uh (laughs) I try and do everything from the viewpoint of I'm going to stay really calm because what I'm doing now is being a voice for everybody that would like to say something right now. I cannot lose my marbles. I have to stay cool because I've got a message to deliver and I'm delivering it on behalf of the country. I might be delivering on behalf of everyone who's lost a loved one to COVID. I might be delivering it on behalf of the entire NHS. So it's not about me. It's about the people that the armies of people behind me and spurring me on. And the honour that is the opportunity to stand there and ask those questions. Mm -hmm. So try and make it about that and remember that at all times and it helps keep me grounded and focused and I you know I imagine myself in a bubble of white light and all that stuff you know <laughs> stuff you do to get yourself centered no I do because it's really hard like especially if there's like shouting view and stuff I just think right 
I'm imagining my tree roots going down into the earth. I'm going to stand here. You know, for anyone that's a vaguely spiritual or into all that sort of stuff, you'll know what I'm talking about. And, and, and that works. It, it just Because what happens is when you can calm yourself and center yourself, it makes those around you seem totally unhinged, <laughs> which makes it more effective. Yes, it does. I just, I was laughing because I was imagining you as uh, Glinda from Wicked, like <laughs> in your bubble with your wand and your nice white dress. But in and amongst all of this, so you're going to Parliament, you're uh, representing, you're giving a voice to these messages, you're sharing these messages, and yet you are still a, a working doctor. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I really hate to ask the juggling question. It's not so much juggling in there. How do you do it always, in it? It's more... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's more, how do you have the right bandwidth for all of the different things that you are doing? Because you've, you've already mentioned your children, you're a mother as well. So mm. in order to spin all those plates, especially as you said, you know, you sort of went for the councillor position, they needed the by-election and things sort of came somewhat gradually. There wasn't a big plan necessarily. There's no plan. And I wouldn't <laughs> even say it came gradually. It just like sort of landed. And it was like, Britney Spears oops I did it again like it just starts off with a oh should I I give that a go oh that worked well should I give that a go oh that worked I think my friends and family are scared of anything I say I'll give a go to um because they just know it's going to go down a road because I'm going to give 5,000% resent a commitment to it (laughs) and that's very fast and intense (laughs) um and um the juggling gosh do you know I'll be honest with you. I think anybody that were to sit here and say, yeah, you know, it's just all about like really effective time management and finding time for you. And it's already marvelous and it's all possible. It's lying. It is a lie. (laughs) I'll be totally honest with you. It is hard. It is hard. Um, Often you feel like you're not a great mum. Um, because any working mum can tell you that, mm. uh, you know, uh, but I've accepted that this is our version of normal. The, for my two daughters, they're learning that um, in this world, it's also about what you do for others as well as each other. And um, so I'm very happy and comfortable with those lessons and I've made my peace with that. And, you know, I still make sure that I prioritise what's important to them over anything else um if they're sick I don't miss a beat if they've got something at school I'll rearrange the diary I mean I tell you the general election in 2019 we had two nativity plays a karate and a ballet demonstration right because it was like the lot I was like what on earth is happening but I was like my children I don't want them to hate me forever I want them to remember me being there so I remember the headmistress of their school I mean and they were five and six right (laughs) I just remember the head teacher of the school because obviously like on election day you're running around like crazy knocking on doors fighting for votes till 10 p.m I kept like running into the school like clapping like a crazy woman on too much caffeine running out again running in again going next time maybe we could coordinate diaries about the nativity play (laughs) you know it's 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 hard being a working mum for anyone but the medical work and the parliamentary work you know I, I just I just never ever wanted to give up being a doctor it's the thing I fought for the most and if somebody had said to me in fact I asked when it came towards going for being an MP I said if it means I can't be a doctor I don't want to do it um 
and you know people all the time wonder why I still do medical work when I don't have to but I'm like no I have to this is who I am I never feel more at home than when I'm drinking tea I have a polystyrene cup you know like <laughs> gossiping about boys of nurses in the coffee room you know no airs no graces no makeup just getting on with work and people I love it I love that so much um and what I learned doing that and the people I speak to and um the experiences I hear about that kind of affirm you know some of my own lived experiences in my early life they give me the fire in my belly to stand there at the dispatch box I'm remembering their names I'm remembering their stories and that keeps me calm and it keeps me grounded because I'm thinking this is this is more than about the Westminster bubble and politicians that shout at each other and the green sofas this is about that person that I saw that child that I saw that family that cried in my arms it, it's about them and so I make myself drag a little ready that I don't have as much sleep as I should that's the truth um I try and take a break when I can but I just think we're all we're all doing our best mm. to juggle life aren't we and make our way I just have a couple of slightly strange out of hours style jobs <laughs> but um but I somehow find a way to make it work somehow but it's not through any grand plan of um being deeply organized it's about prioritizing mm. um, it's about prioritizing and being able to say no I've learned to say no a lot better than I ever have before um, and I didn't as a new MP I was going to the opening of an envelope thinking oh they voted for me and it's a really marginal seat and I must go and show them that they did the right thing in voting for me and you soon realize nobody thanks you for it you just make yourself exhausted you don't see a family enough and everyone's slightly annoyed of you all of the time <laughs> those people that you care about so it's just a balance isn't it mm. with anything do you feel like the the remaining as a working doctor and as you say seeing lots of different people you know A&E you're going to see a really good broad spectrum of people because that's for everybody do yeah. you think that that is the thing that maybe is lacking elsewhere in politics in the sense that maybe there's not so much um, touchy-feely really understand what is affecting people every day because it, as you say Westminster bubble it's kind of once removed do you feel as though your job actually makes you better at your job and offers you a perspective that maybe doesn't exist that much within the house yeah it definitely does it definitely does and I, and I think that there's room for, for everybody from all sorts of backgrounds. You know, I'd love to see more people from the arts in Parliament. I'd love to see more, more creatives. I'd love to see more makeup artists, more photographers, more of everyone, because Parliament is supposed to represent our society, and it doesn't represent our society, does it? If, if I look across sometimes when I'm having a debate, it was like last week, I looked across the chamber and everybody that I was talking to at one point in the debate, apart from the minister responding, was an older white man. Nothing against older white men. There is there is a great you know place for them as well. But there, it was all of them. And I'm like, there was where are the women? Where are the younger MPs? Where are the MPs from different backgrounds? Where are the MPs? Um, from you know, you know from different ethnicities and I know they exist in both parties but it isn't enough is it it isn't enough in terms of the um you know where where are the lesbians we want more of everybody there because if we're making policies about real people's lives 
Parliament needs to be full of real people. And I believe that really strongly. And I and I think that so many people feel that they can't get there or they would hate it. And you know, people say to me, Oh, you know, now you're in Parliament. Do you think, yeah, I've made it? I was like, no, now that I'm here, I feel a responsibility to throw down the ladder and bring loads of people here with me. You know, smash that glass ceiling, throw the ladder down and pull everybody up. Come yeah. on, get amongst it. It's interesting. Earlier this year, I had John McAvoy on the podcast, um, who I had a wonderful conversation with him. I really appreciated his perspective, but he said something to me that was so profound in the sense of people don't know what's possible because they don't ever see it. Yes. And the thing is, I think, you know, the universe took me on a journey, just last minute, crazy oh my gosh, overnight in Parliament journey, because it's not something I would have done unless I was sort of pushed in the craziest of ways, you know? Somebody came to me and said, there's a bunch of us that think you should go for it. I never in a million years would have put myself forward for it. Because I just thought, what? No. But the difficulty is, and this is what needs to change, is once you get there, because perceptions of politicians are so awful at the moment, Mm. automatically people say very negative things or assume that you think in a very negative way and that's the bit that makes it hard to be there because you go from being yourself to being somewhere and everyone go oh you're just a corrupt politician and you spent 57 pounds with a printer in your office do you know how many meals like of course you need to print like a printer in your office but you have people suddenly like looking through everything um working out if you'd bought your staff a Christmas present and criticizing you for it, it's very hard. Like it's very hard, you know, and you just feel like if, if there were more normal people in parliament from everyday backgrounds, they would fight harder to change the legislation so that that doesn't happen because it's painful. It is. Mm. And it can affect your health really badly. So have you struggled? I definitely have had times when I felt really down when I've thought to myself, I'm just trying to do the best I can. Like, why are they lying about this? Or what, why does that, why is that person annoyed with me? You know, or I've done my best there. Why are they lying about that? You know, and you just, you can, if you're not careful, sort of spiral into this, it's just not worth doing anything because I can't please anyone kind Mm. of feeling. And I'm sure lots of people can identify with that. Um, You know, and, and it is, it's difficult sometimes as well, because, because often the people you're trying to serve and do your best for, um, and that you may have helped in the past, if a local issue doesn't go their way, even if it's got nothing to do with you, even if it's like a council thing or mayor of London thing, it comes on you and people start criticizing you and saying horrible things about you and your family and just awful things. And yeah, I had a period recently where there was a really, really horrible few weeks over a local issue in particular. And I became afraid to leave the house um, because I was like sort of shouted out on the streets. I was afraid to be with the kids. I was going, I was working out every single day because the only way I could get out of my head was to work out 
I literally, if I didn't, if I didn't exercise, I don't know what would have happened. I'm just really glad it wasn't in the super duper lockdown phase. <laughs> you got, you got to fit your exercise in. Well, you talk about real people being represented. And one of the reasons why I wanted to speak to you is because I think, and I know I've had lots of messages from listeners and I definitely feel like I'm guilty of not participating in my wider community in a way that would be meaningful and now I have a real urge to I was chatting to my brother about it as well and we think that throughout lockdown we feel like we've had an opportunity to really see things slightly differently and we want to contribute so if someone's listening to this and they think okay I don't like how things are going at the top level but I also don't really like what I'm seeing in my local area like where would you advise somebody to begin and I know that a lot of listeners are in the UK but we do have international listeners and I know you can probably only speak to this country but I also just think hello international listeners I love that (laughs) (laughs) where are they where are they Emma we've got people all over the place America hello to Americans Australia China I lived in Australia for a while. Oh, amazing. Oh, well, firstly, um, firstly, I just do just want to say as well, though, that if people don't want to get involved, that's fine, too. I think at the moment, um, a lot of people are feeling guilty that it's taking everything they've got just to make it through the days just for themselves. Mm-hmm. They haven't got any extra to give. And they're finding it hard to hear people talking about all this wonderful altruistic work that they're doing. So if you've got any listeners who are just struggling to get through each day, I would just say, that's fine. Take it easy. Go easy on yourself. You know, we don't need everybody to help all the time. The best thing you can do for your community is make sure that you're well and seek help if you need it. And it's okay not to feel okay. I think that's really, really important. But for those who are feeling sort of energized and wanting to do you know, stuff that they consider to be good stuff. There's lots of stuff. So first of all, I'd like to say that everybody has a voice, right? You can always write to your MP on any issue. And wherever you live in the world, you can contact your local representatives because we act on the letters that we get, the information that we get. You know, if we have a lot of people writing to us about a certain issue, we will call for debates. We will we will get things arranged so that we talk about things on the floor of the house so for example if in your local area you were worried about um I don't know I'm just making something up now but like local trout levels in your river and you're worried about pollution I I mean there are people who have trout issues believe me (laughs) not in tooting not in tooting but somewhere around if enough people write to their MP about this issue the MP can get a Westminster Hall debate or can talk to the backbench, backbench business committee and before you know it there's a debate about trout and so a letter goes a long way it really really does second of all there are so many organizations um local and national who need volunteers who need help and this weekend i volunteered in them tooting community kitchen giving out food to the homeless and people who just needed to chat and felt lonely that was so rewarding I love doing things like that there will be things in your area there'll be food banks where they need volunteers Um, also um, some places will have befriending services where they need volunteers Um, the people that have a lot more time on their hands I've been doing a lot of work because I'm the shadow minister for mental health 
so I've been doing a, a lot in that space. And um, uh, Samaritans, they have a phenomenal like volunteer program. So, like, so sort of depending how much time you have, you can do things from an hour a week to many hours a week. Um, or you could set up a community group if you wanted to. You could just you could like look at set you know like setting something up, or um, if you know for example if if you wanted something for carers of people with with um, dementia you could set up like a coffee morning with your local church, do something that interests you. That's going to be the key thing because you're going to be excited about doing it. I mean like Tooting Community Kitchen started off with a handful of volunteers. Now there are there you know there are people who for their own mental health love going every single week and seeing the other volunteers and feeling as though they're part of something bigger. So. However big or small, your contribution matters. And it doesn't need to be that you suddenly are becoming an MP. It can just mean, as you say, that you're part of a community group. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, being an MP is a whole different life. It's a whole different career choice. And if if that's what floats your boat, go ahead. But you can't become an MP very easily. There are many people that spend their whole lives trying and the, and the 500 pounds and the 10 (laughs) signatures is the official thing you've got to do. Once you've been selected, it's the official thing you've got to do to register yourself to stand in an election. So, so like we joke, someone doesn't get enough votes to get their deposit back. That's the 500 quid. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So to actually stand in an election, you have to get officially 10 signatures of people, but you have to jump through a lot of hoops to be selected as the candidate for your area. Um, Quite right too. Yeah, some people try their whole lives and some people, um, it it happens overnight by accident, like like with me, but but I'm the exception, not the norm. You know, there there are people who do this for years and years and they move around trying to find a seat where the the last MP is is likely to step down or, you know. um, But if you do want to be an MP, being a counsellor is really good because it shows people that you are not afraid to get your hands dirty and, uh, you know, to do the less glamorous things. Um, and if you want to be a counsellor, you need to work out where your politics most aligns. If you're Conservative, Labour, Lib Dem, whatever party, you'll need to join a party and then go through, go through the process. But, but I think a lot of people probably don't realize that a huge amount of being an MP um, and being a politician is door knocking it's door knocking getting out there meeting people so if you don't like talking a lot (laughs) it's probably not the job for you but some people really enjoy having a career change and going and working for an MP and being part of the the policy team coming up with ideas researching things um, and providing you know casework support so there's all there are all sorts of careers in politics um Mm. But right now, you know, it's not an easy time to be an MP. I think social media has a lot of responsibility for that. Um, it's very easy to be nasty to people. I mean, like whatever whatever walk of life you're in, but it's very easy to be in the public eye, have people be nasty to you, and somehow social media companies haven't yet got on top of removing people who put some very toxic stuff up. Um, well, and again, that can really affect you. This was one thing I was going to ask you, actually, and it's about conspiracy, because it's in researching this conversation, like, what am I going to bring up? It is so easy 
to find a hell of a lot of nonsense and lies or things that you think are true. And I'm sure if anyone listening to this is part of any kind of forum, you'll see people having conversations and spouting what they've read on Twitter, for example, as fact. And it's yeah. not necessarily fact. No. Where do you, what, what's your advice on that? What's your perception of that? And what advice do you have for people for actually sourcing accurate information? Because I feel like rather than focusing on the fact that there's all that misinformation out there, as you say, there's very little we can do. I've listened to podcasts with the people who run Twitter and they don't seem to have a handle on it. So the best thing to do really is rather than try and dismantle that right now is to actually figure out where the right and accurate sources of information are. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I I mean, I think if it's about a politician themselves or someone in the public eye themselves, then just ask them or look at things that they've put out. Because, you know, for example, if if somebody were to, you know, go and find conversations about me, I mean, locally, there are all sorts of conspiracy theories that I was Sadiq Khan's daughter or I was his wife or I was his cousin. And they wanted to keep it in the family. And because I got half the same surname and we're all related and who do I think I am? I'm, you know, getting this MP job just because I'm related. to All of that was nonsense and lies set to undermine the fact that a woman of colour herself could go and win her seat. And even now, people will write to me. And if they're not one of my voters or if they're angry about my stance on, for example, calling out the government over like uh, coronavirus or how we've treated people in the creative sector and all of that sort of stuff, they will deliberately not use my full name and they'll not use my doctor title. So they will say things like, dear Ms. Khan, well, it's actually Dr. Alan Khan, but okay, dear Ms. Khan, I realise that you uh, are in cahoots with Sadiq, you know, and it will just start like that. And, and, I used to think, how do I let everybody know that I'm not related to him? People are, why are people assuming I'm half Polish, half Pakistani, we share, a, we share half a surname, how are we the same? You know, but rather than get angry about it, I just decided like not to get angry about it. But clearly any of the sources that people would have gone to and got that information wouldn't have been from me. Right. So I'd always say, if you've got a question about something or someone, go to them, look at things that they've put out and that's always the most reliable I think and be very careful about what you read as well understand like maybe get into a little bit of understanding how different papers write for different audiences so for example well I don't want to get myself in any trouble because I'll be in like yet another story but like the Daily Mail ran this story about me having a secret life as a swimwear model when I was standing in the by-election because typically they don't tend to be Labour supporters, certainly not a woman, certainly not a woman of colour. So it got, it became a thing and and that was mortifying, I can tell you. I felt like everybody had read it and believed it and, and all of this stuff. Um, but now I could just laugh about it. But but people reading that might have thought it was true. Did they have so, pictures? There were pictures. Yes, there were pictures. Where they'd gone on like friends' Facebooks and cut them out and then they'd uploaded them to some, someone had uploaded them to some e-models website and said that I was available wait, to hire. Wait, so you didn't ever things. pose as a swimwear model, but you were on holiday in swimwear and these pictures, is that right? And these pictures were on your friend's Facebook? So they couldn't find anything. They could, <laughs> I always don't want to give it too much attention. They couldn't find anything of me on a catwalk, in a catalogue, anything. They had me in swimwear. But even in the story about me as a swimwear model, in one I was in a dress and in the other one I was like in shorts and a full top. Anyway, long story short, 
it 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 was it was a good story for them and fine yeah. you know that's how they sell the papers but the point of the matter is is that if i would much rather someone contact me and say oh not that i actually you know my life might have been quite fun if i had a secret life as a swimwear model and you know i'd done modeling through medical school but but not swimwear modeling i did like adidas and weller and all those sorts of things you know never swim it so it was but it's just that that sort of thing where you just panic you're like oh my goodness i am I'm a mother of two and I work in a hospital and everyone's going to think that I just, oh, you know, all this panic and it, it mounted to nothing in the end. It was just hilarious. In fact, I had women's groups contact me saying, hey, you look really good in swimwear. And I was like, thanks, that was before kids. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, they were like, we're taking a stand against this and uh, we've set up a WhatsApp group to campaign for you. So the very people that I thought might judge me were the people who were going out campaigning for me. Um, so the point of the matter is, go to the source. Mm-hmm. Always go to the source. Understand that as well that what you're reading may, be, may have a bias to it as well. Um, what about and- something like COVID, for example, where what we've seen at the moment is there's huge... I mean, they're dubbed COVID idiots by people on the mainstream media, but you've got people who are saying it's a conspiracy, that a vaccine is actually going to put tracking devices into our blood, that we don't need to be in lockdown. And yet we've got the government, we've got the prime minister on the television saying we're going into lockdown for these reasons. That's obviously a much bigger, much, much bigger thing. And I have noticed on Facebook that the people who believe that it's a conspiracy and that we never needed to go into lockdown and that COVID is all of these various things are adamant. They are absolutely adamant. Yeah, yeah they are. So what, what in your opinion is the way to decipher that kind of information that could actually lead to real danger? Yeah. I think first of all, no one should ever be labeled an idiot. Everybody's, Fears, values, opinions are all legitimate and often coming from a place of fear. And it's about addressing that. And I honestly think that if people have questions, that they need to they need to go to the source of people that would have answers, because I would I would be very. I would almost be able to bet that half of the people that at least half the people that are saying this stuff haven't lost family members to COVID. Because if you've spoken to any doctor like myself who worked and saw people dying in droves, if you speak to anybody who lost a family member or who was deeply affected by it, none of them will think that any of this is made up. But some of the people that perpetuate these messages are very convincing, very powerful orators and if your life is particularly inconvenienced by what's going on, if, thank God, you have no one that's been affected by the virus, you can see why it'd be easy for people to jump on board board with it. Um, But I would really caution against that. I would say that over 50,000 people have died of COVID. They really have. And in the UK. Yeah, sorry, in the UK, yes. 50,000 people in the UK have died of COVID. We've had more healthcare worker-related deaths from COVID than anywhere else in Europe. You know, we are outliers. We can't we can't afford to to do that. We could be like not to not listen to messages. And I can tell you, um, if the government was trying to put 
weird material into our bodies. I'll be the first person shouting about it. Everybody, everybody would know about it. But as a doctor, I'll answer this as a doctor, um, vaccination programs are really, really important and they're there to save lives. And as someone who has, who has seen many, many, many people dying of COVID and the tragedy that it causes, I would just really tell people just, you know, I, I don't want to tell anybody that believes that that they're stupid but I would say please 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 do your research far and wide and understand that look we have a government that I don't have a lot of time for we, we really do but but from a public health perspective let's all just try and keep each other safe as much as we can because god forbid that you should you or your families should catch this virus and the very worst would happen and actually you 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 mentioned fear and why that can be the, the the source or the the trigger that makes people potentially believe some of the stuff that isn't true that's out there. Yeah. And actually, you've said as well, and you are the MP for mental health. That's the correct title, isn't it? So, yeah. So so I'm in the shadow cabinet and I'm the lead on mental health. Yeah, the shadow minister for mental health. And you, uh, I think, again, I always worry about my quotes when I source them from the internet, but I think you've said something along the lines of actually the second pandemic we're going to experience is a mental health pandemic. I've definitely said that because I believe <laughs> that. Yes, those are my words. <laughs> it's so yeah. nice for you to say it like that because when I've interviewed celebrities before, they've been like, like years and years ago, if you quote something from Wikipedia, they'd be like, uh, no, and then they get their agent over. So I love the fact that you're like, I definitely said that. <laughs> so, um, so I really want to talk about this because... I've had my own mental health struggles that I've been really open about on this podcast. I know that people yeah, who are listening have had um, maybe experiencing issues or have people close to them who are experiencing issues. So from your perspective, what are the things that we can be doing in that arena that's positive? What's your role right now? What's your priority on the subject? Well, you know, I have my I have my priorities as a minister, uh, as a shadow minister, but I also have my priorities as a human. Um, and I and I'll run through some of the things that I that I try and do. So first of all, in terms of um, in my role as shadow minister, I've had a piece of work which you may have seen the video where I'm trying to get the government to meet me to talk about it. But it's a, it's 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 a care for carers package mm-hmm. to look after the mental health of our frontline workers who've actually seen loads of people die and lost their own family members and colleagues. But more longer term, I think we have to do a huge amount to tackle the stigma of having mental ill health. You're incredible. You you come out, you speak about it, you encourage others to do so. But we don't live in a world yet where there's true parity of esteem between mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. And without tackling the stigma, we won't get on top of things like suicide in young men, all of the major issues that we have. And so for me, a massive priority is tackling stigma. Um, also investing in our young people because if we don't get it right from them for them when they are young when they are starting to self-harm when they're developing eating disorders which I see as a doctor earlier and earlier and earlier now younger and younger and younger if we don't get on top of that we are failing not only them we're failing their families because anybody that suffers with mental ill health it it just echoes throughout the whole family it, it just ripples throughout the whole family it is all consuming um and so for me, we absolutely have to get that right. And but just in terms of what I do on a day to day basis um, towards friends that I may be worried about or people I care about, um, I often believe in sending messages, um, particularly if, if you have friends that are struggling. When you're suffering with mental ill health, sometimes the last thing you want to do or that you feel you can do is have a conversation. But more than ever, you need to feel as though people are there for you. And so knowing that, remembering that, I 
I often send messages to friends that I know are struggling saying, hey, babes, um, thinking of you today, just reaching out, letting you know I love you here if you need. Um, I've also set up like a little WhatsApp group. Some of my guy friends that I know don't talk about their mental health much, but sometimes may need to. Um, and we just just send a little happy messages to talk about life, silly stuff. Um, I, I try and protect myself where I can. Um, you know, it was very triggering for me working through the whole COVID uh, pandemic. And um, I, I've, I've sort of relived a lot of childhood experiences in this role, um, mental health, talking to a lot of people, which I haven't ever let on when I'm talking to them, but it's triggered stuff and I've had to deal with it, you know, and I haven't, I haven't ever really spoken about that very publicly um, before. And I'm, and I'm not going to just now because I think, really important I'd like I don't want to make this about me I want to just put it out there that I have a very very good understanding of from people close to me and my own personal life about about mental ill health but but actually I don't want to make this about me I want to make it about showcasing the other people that are talking very movingly about their journeys but I think that um there are many people who are going through a great who, who, who are going through a lot of difficulty at this time and they have friends and loved ones who don't know what to do with that so what I would say is just little messages trying to get some routine in someone's day is really really important so I remember someone that I cared about I knew he was really struggling I knew he wasn't getting out of bed um at that time gym memberships were really really cheap so I signed him up for a three-month gym membership at the local fitness first and um, literally showed up every morning at his house um, said I don't care if you're in your underpants going to fitness first we're going to get on that treadmill just to sort of create some um, some routine in the day uh, so everybody listening will have their own experiences that they'll they'll be thinking of particular people as we're having this conversation and they'll know what to do and what will work for them but the fundamental thing is, and I just stress this so much, is just go easy on yourself. Nobody has the perfect life. But what you see on social media, what you see when people look as though they have it all together, what you see on these wonderfully airbrushed family pictures of complete unity and happiness, that is not the reality for most people. People only ever put them their best selves out there. And it really is okay not to be okay. It's okay to have a down day. And, you know, the point of power is always now. Now you can have the choice to change things and feel better and and move forward. Don't don't beat yourself up about, oh, yesterday I spent all day in my pajamas or all oh, oh, this whole week I didn't stick to the healthy eating I wanted to do. The point of power is now. Remember that. Now is the only m- moment that matters. 100% it's okay to, to not be okay but yes. I always but I I sometimes caution with that my messages but that doesn't mean you have to stay there that no just, way. okay is okay is like just the the leap leapfrog from there yes as in don't beat yourself up about it and think yeah. that because you've had half a day feeling a certain way that you, the rest of your day needs to be that way or you have to wait until tomorrow you know you can do something about it and and um yeah I I think I think a really key thing that works for me as well is 
because it feels bleak, doesn't it? Winter's coming and, you know, it's dark and all of that stuff and we're in lockdown. But actually, um, but but actually, let's it's not always going to be like this. Let's look forward to some fun things. Like start thinking about ways like your holiday to be if you can. You know, not everyone you know can, but just, but, but just think about where you might like to go and eat. Like just think of something happy because happy times will return. And for all the people listening to this, who were so worried about their jobs, who were so worried about their industries, who might have been told that they're unviable and need to retrain as something else. Um, that's rubbish. That's rubbish. They matter. They matter hugely. And, you know, they do have people like myself and some other MPs going into bat for them and there will be better times. There will be better times ahead. Just one foot in front of the other, one day to the next. Let's make it to next year and it will get better. Do you bring your doctor's mentality into politics? And is that something that is that a sort of a way of doing things that maybe is new? Do you think that's what serves you really well? When I was asking friends, I was saying, oh, I'm speaking to Rosanna today. Uh, one of them said, I'm really curious how working in politics and working in medicine is either different or similar and whether she has to adapt or whether she goes in with the same tenacity. And tenacity came up a lot in Did people it? describing you. Yeah. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah, I do. I think um, I think that I, I have a personality that is always there and is a certain way. And I bring that to medicine and I bring that to politics. And so I always like I always apply what we call in medicine, the my mum test. So if I have a patient, I just think, well, what would I do for my mum? Like you, you pull out all the stops um not that you wouldn't anyway but you just if you you just do and I always think right I'm gonna make that person a cup of tea because it look like they're really suffering and you know like sitting there for hours holding their mum's hand I'm gonna make them a cup of tea I'm gonna do this I always try to make the patient experience as positive as possible because I know that you often can't change the end point but you can make the journey more manageable for someone and so I always apply the my mum test to my work and I apply it to my work as a politician as well when I'm fighting for something to be better I'm fighting for everybody's mum everybody's brother everybody's kids you know and and I I um I guess I have a real persistence and an attention to detail and so if I spot something isn't right I I do whatever I can to rectify it. I do that as a doctor and I do that as a politician. Um, and I do I do manage very well in high stress situations. I think that comes from my childhood, but I'm able to keep a very, very clear head. That's why I was attracted to A&E and, what, and why that works for me, because if you're leading like an arrest situation, like where someone's having a heart attack, you have a team, you've got to think straight, you haven't got time to fall apart. If someone's had a major accident or a child has come in sick, you haven't got time to fall apart. You, you have to have an absolute steely focus. You have to do absolutely everything you can in that moment for that patient with your team and deal with your emotions later. And I think that relationship with adrenaline serves me really well in Parliament because I don't get nervous in the same way. And I also think to myself, I'm just doing my best and my best will be good enough. Mm. Um, does that make sense? It, it does. Yeah. You've also, you talked about the my mum test and it's funny. Every uh, Sunday I have a family FaceTime 
And oh. we always end up talking about politics at length because my brother and my dad can talk about politics and my mum and I sort of chip in where necessary because they, they are incredibly engaged with it. So sometimes we just can't keep up truth. I know that's a sad thing to say as a woman, but I'm no, trying. No, it's fine. <laughs> but one of the things I was saying the other day is I was saying I find it very difficult to watch my current government on television because I feel like ultimately they I'm not sensing any compassion. Yeah, any you're in the middle of a pandemic and I see the health secretary talking in a way that I do not feel is particularly compassionate and that bugs me quite a lot and then I try to be compassionate to him and think gosh well if I had his job and there was a pandemic and I knew everything that he did maybe I wouldn't be able to get a sentence out either but unfortunately that's the job but I feel very heartened to hear you talk in that way because it feels like you're actually taking compassion into politics, which is maybe what people have been missing. Yeah, I mean, I always take compassion into politics. I I will always try and see someone else's viewpoint as well. And I fundamentally always come from the point that I think people are inherently good. But I have learned in my journey in politics that not everybody is good and not everybody does things from a well-meaning place. And those are the people that I will very robustly have an argument with um, and not back down. And if there are concessions to be made in a cross-party way to do something with a, with a person on the opposite side who is a good person and wants to work together, I will do that all day long. I'm not somebody that will say, oh, I'll never work with a Tory. Of course I would. Of course I would. I'd work with anybody. But um, people must not mistake kindness for weakness when it comes to me calling things out that are wrong mm. because I think what is the point of being here if I cannot be fighting for what is better for the people that I see in the hospital for my community the people's families and if I don't say it who will if I don't fight for it who will and I take that in with me but I think I think um I think fundamentally I am the same I'm the same person all of the time just applied in different environments if that makes sense mm. um yeah I always say that like if I was in the big brother house I'd probably be the one that just got on really well with loads of people I wouldn't be in the diary room loving the sound of my own voice the whole time I'd let everybody else kind of get on with it and just sort of generally get on with anyone but if someone was having a fight then I'll be sorted I'll be like what let's all stop fighting here come on oh you know, so uh, <laughs> I love that because I have every confidence that if I had, if I go into the Big Brother house that I would be evicted first for being so annoying. No, you would not. Um, actually, I know that our time together is drawing to an end because you yes. are incredibly busy, but I do just want to ask you something. It's been really noticeable to me that a lot of people frustrated with how things have gone in the pandemic and Caroline Hirons is a great example of this. She started Beauty Backed in order yes. to support the beauty industry and those brilliant in many cases independent uh women who've started their own businesses threw everything back into those businesses so they then weren't eligible for any of the relief or support I know. So beauty backed and there's been a real mobilization I think of people going well it's not being done by the people that maybe it should be done by so we're going to do it and I think Marcus yes exactly what would exactly. you say to somebody listening to this who thinks maybe I should do something like that or should I leave it to my MP? Like what's your parting shot for getting things going in the right direction? If you feel passionate about something, go for it. Like every voice is equally important. 
Yours is as important as anybody in those green benches in Westminster. Yours is as important as any MP, if not more so, because you have your ears to the ground. You are living real everyday life. If you feel strongly about something, put a campaign together. You know, we've seen Beauty Back, we've seen like, What About Weddings. There are so many, and that's the power of people. And people can make changes if they come together, if they're passionate about it. I'd say don't take on something that is above what you can manage by yourself. For example, if you think of a local campaign or if you think of a campaign for your industry and you want to run it, find people to help you with that. Um, find allies and then find MPs that are allies. So I'm very, very supportive um, of of a whole load of sectors because I can see the importance and their value and and I and you know and I love them. Um, and there will be MPs that that you know campaign for grouse shooting. I mean, I'm not one of them, but th th there is a, there there are MPs that that will back causes that they believe in and feel strongly about. But you start it. Go ahead. Like be brave. Go for it if you want to. Don't let anything hold you back. And find MPs, find people in social media, find other local people to come behind you and support you. And, you know, you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of members or people campaign. It can be a bunch of people with a really good idea and a will to make change. That can be enough. So go for it. Just go for it. Don't let anything hold you back. Like everyone's voice is super, super important and is equally important. And my parting message has to be, Everybody is equal. Do not ever let anyone tell you that you are not legitimate, that your voice doesn't matter, that you want anything other than 100% amazing, because that is what you all are. Louder for the people at the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. Obviously, the links to you, um, I'll put all of the details so that people can get in contact with you if they thank would you. like. But I could talk to you for another three hours. I've got a ton of other questions, but oh, I am going to let you go. You'll just have to come back. Yeah, no, I would, I would love to come back. It's been so amazing talking to you. And yeah, thank you for all your support. Thank you for including me in your podcast. And um, yes, I was saying when we started, uh, before we came on the call, I'm quite new to Insta. Um, so I'm very, I'm sort of been on Twitter a lot longer. Um, I love the Insta platform. So if you're on Insta, if you can add me um, at Dr. Rosena, at Dr. Rosena, um, that'd be amazing because then you can see more of the of you know what I'm trying to do. And it's a ways to get in touch and bring me on board with your campaigns. Uh, that's, that's how we started chatting. I DM'd you. That's exactly it. That's how we started chatting. Um, so. Yeah, this has been amazing. I've had so much fun. Oh, come back anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. It would be a delight to hear from you. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I encourage you to go to the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode and click the link to join the Facebook forum. You do have to answer questions. You do have to agree to the forum rules. But once you have, I cannot wait to welcome you in there with open arms. Thank you so much for listening and for spending your time with me. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you.